0: Our sermon this morning is entitled, The Authority of Jesus Challenge. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. Turn there in your Bibles if you have them. Context. What's been happening in the story? We've heard it over and over, but repetition is the best teacher. So hopefully by the time we finish the Gospel of Luke, we'll all, uh, you know, have a firm grasp of the structure of the book. Chapters 9 through 19, Jesus has been traveling from Galilee in northern uh, Israel to Jerusalem in southern Israel. He's been healing people, performing mir- miracles, teaching, uh, you know, doing doing ministry. Luke chapter nineteen. He arrives in Jerusalem. He's greeted with thousands of people. They're rejoicing, uh, worshiping. They're they're waving palm branches. Jesus promptly withdraws and and starts to weep uncontrollably. He contemplates the the fate of the city of Jerusalem. He contemplates the the religious leaders that are opposing him. Right. And he, uh, he contemplates his own uh, fate that's coming in just a few short days when he's going to be crucified for the sins of humanity. He warns them. He warns them about the judgment of God that is coming because of their ignorance and because of their sin and because of their indifference. And then the next day, Jesus heads into the temple grounds and he sees uh, just a ton of commerce buying and selling, uh, you know, religious leaders monetizing the worship of the people of uh, the, the worship of God, taking advantage of people who are vulnerable, immigrants, Foreigners, poor people, orphans, widows, these kinds of these kinds of people. And Jesus is furious. He flips over the tables, drives them out of the temple courts. And that upsets the religious leaders big time. Right? The prospect of Jesus coming into where they are, interrupting their system that they have set up that has kind of built <clears throat> to provide them with, with you know monetary gain. Up until now, Jesus has been a nuisance, right? He's been, you know, he's spoken out publicly against them. He's called them hypocrites. He's accused them of doing great harm to the people of God. But it's been, you know, sticks and stones, right? Sticks and stones will will break your, your bones. And so, you know, Jesus can say whatever he wants, but he hasn't really cost us anything except maybe some goodwill with the people. But now he's costing them, right? This is affecting their bottom line. Real money he is taking out of their pockets, by turning over these tables because everything that was sold at every table in the temple, uh, a, a portion of that all went to the, the priesthood. It went to the high priest directly among, among others. So now Jesus is costing us money. And so now it's, he, he's, he's gone from someone that is a nuisance, that we are annoyed by, and that we would, we'd like to cancel, right? We'd like to silence. We'd like to marginalize and keep him from having a, a growing influence. He's gone from that to being someone that we want to murder, right? Someone that we want to uh, kill uh, because he is disrupting our, right? You know, it's like a mafia boss. Like, we're going to make an example out of this guy. He's, you know, we're, we're going to, to take him take him out. And so the tension is building. The tension is, is building between Jesus and the religious leaders, little by little. It's ultimately going to culminate uh, with his arrest in Luke 22 uh, and his crucifixion in Luke 23. So that's kind of where we're headed. Uh, we're going to, we hope, hopefully we'll get to the resurrection in Luke 24 by Easter, 2022. Uh, what, what year is it now? 21? Easter 22. My, my hope is to is to be to, um, to the resurrection. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and read Luke 20 verses 1 through 8. And we're going we're gonna to read the story about Jesus kind of being confronted and opposed by these religious leaders and kind of how this uh, episode ensues. It says, One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel... The chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things. Who is it that gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will ask you a question. Now you tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another they said, well, if we we say it's from heaven, then he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, then all the people will stone us to death. For they're convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we um, ask your blessing on our time and your word this morning. Lord, we spend all week uh, bombarded by the, the messages that the world is constantly throwing at us. Phones, computers, television, just countless hours every day. Just constantly, you know, being bombarded by the world and its message. I mean, it is all too easy to, to tune out the small, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would give us grace, that you would quiet our hearts just for a few moments so that we might hear from you and listen to you and experience your presence together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, one day as Jesus was teaching people in the temple and he's he was preaching the gospel, again, final week of his life, this Jesus' Passion Week. And so he's there, he's teaching, there's large crowds of people, they're hanging on his every word. There are segments of people that resent him and that, that hate him, namely the religious leaders that we see, right? The chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they came up. Chief priests were the high-ranking uh, you know, members of the Jewish priesthood. They were like a nucleus of people that worked, you know, directly with and immediately under the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas at the time. The scribes were basically lawyers, right? Kind of experts in the law, well-educated, extensively trained, right? They kind of used the law to argue for their uh, respective positions. So you kind of have the, the, the you know, the highest-ranking, clergymen and the highest ranking, uh, lawyers. And then the elders were kind of like judges, right? Elders were respected people in the community that they would be, you know, trusted to rule on disputes and cases. Uh, they were people that everyone kind of looked to and kind of looked up to. And so you've got the, the, you know, the, the religious aristocracy, the lawyers, the judges, these kind of people get, it's like a, you know, like a all-star, you know, kind of a a, a all-star squad of all th- all three of these different, you know, high-ranking folks. They come up to Jesus and they say, "Tell us by what authority you do these things. Who it is, or who it is that gave you this authority?" Basically, they're saying, you know, who the heck do you think you are, right? Like you, I don't know, like if you are aware, but this is our. You know, town. We we run this city. We are in charge of the temple grounds here. If we say that we want to have buying and selling and commerce and and you know exchanging of currencies in the temple, then we you know what give like that's our prerogative. And what gives you the right to say otherwise? Who are you to kind of come in here and and kind of? Uh, you know speak out undermine our authority call our judgment into question say that we don't have the right to set up what we want right we are we do have that right we are the ones who've been formally educated we've been recognized by the people God himself has put his hand on us he's called us to lead we have the authority to do what we did what we were doing who are you and by what authority do you come in here and flip over all of our tables and halt all the temple commerce? Right? They can maybe make the argument that in so doing, you're preventing people from worshiping God. And they travel here expressly for that reason. But in all likelihood, what's going on deep in their heart is they're saying, in so doing, you are taking money out of our pockets. Right? This, was our, this was our system that we set up that we kind of are getting rich by. And who do you think you are stopping it? What gives you the authority? We certainly have not. So unless you can point to a higher authority than us, then we're calling foul. That's the objection, right? What gives you the right to do the things that you do, to say the things that you that you say, and that's the, the impetus behind it, right? Uh, you know, you're Jesus, we were okay with you being uh, an, an itinerant preacher, a traveling preacher, going around city to city, amassing a fo- We weren't crazy about it, weren't thrilled that it was happening, but we're, we were okay with that happening because, frankly, it wasn't really bothering us. It wasn't hurting us. It wasn't disrupting our way of life. It wasn't affecting our bottom line, but this episode that happened yesterday with you flipping over all of the tables in the temple grounds, you're coming into our house, onto our turf, messing with our system, costing us money, and we cannot let that slide. This, this heart posture from these religious leaders is all too common. With people today, I see it, it's all too common in my own life and in my own heart as I kind of look inwardly and just kind of consider my own heart and my own sinful nature right i'm i'm fine with jesus i've got no problem with jesus I even I'm, I'm happy to say that I believe in him. I identify as a Christian. Jesus is a great guy, said lots of great stuff. I'm fine with all of that. As long as it doesn't disrupt my life. As long as it doesn't affect my bottom line. As long as it doesn't affect my ability as a person to do whatever I want to do. And that's that watershed moment where where we, we kind of look at our hearts and find if we really love Jesus is when He calls us to do something that we don't want to do. How do we respond? Right? right. Do, do we respond by uh, submitting our will, our desire, our preferences to Jesus and His Word and His instructions and His commands? Or do we respond by saying, like these guys, Who the heck are you to tell, like, by what authority do you tell me to fill in the blank, right? On on, on whose authority do you tell me that I can't sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, right? It's not affecting anyone. We're both consenting adults. It's nobody's business but our own. On whose authority do you tell me that I can't commit adultery, leave my spouse, marry someone else, right? We not a crime. We just fell out of love and decided we don't want to be married. The, the true crime would be not following my heart, not, you know, uh, would be suppressing my true feelings, staying in a loveless marriage, right? Jesus, on what authority, what right do you have to tell me not to, you know, uh, be in a same sex relationship? It's nobody's business, but ours. You have no right, no authority to speak into my love life, right? On whose authority do you tell me you know, that I can't transition to a different gender. On whose authority do you tell me that I can't look at uh, pornography? It's not hurting anyone. There's no victim. It doesn't affect anyone else. I mean, you know, unless you count the women that are victimized by pornography and that are trafficked into sex slavery and your spouse who is, you know, hurt profoundly. You know, but it's my understanding that there's no victim. So why, who are you to have any authority over me on this area? Jesus, what authority do you have to tell me, to force my hand, to love my neighbor, to forgive them, to be at peace with them, instead of holding a grudge against them like I want to do? You don't know who they are. You don't know what they've done. I have every right to be offended, to be upset, to hold a grudge. I don't want to be their friend anymore. I don't, I'd rather gratify and indulge my anger and let myself become more and more resentful and never give them a chance to apologize or, or reconcile. If I want to do that, what authority do you have, Jesus, to tell me otherwise? By what authority? Who gave you the authority to tell me that I have to attend church, I have to become a member of a local church and submit to its authority? Right I don't want to. I can, I can connect with God by walking in the woods, or googling pictures of the Grand Canyon. right? On, like on whose authority, what, what authority do you have to tell me that I need to um, you know be more devoted to God and the gospel than I am to my political party? I have my beliefs. they're informed by the sources of my choosing. Jesus, it's your job to conform to them. It's not my job to conform to you and to your word. So I have no responsibility, no obligation to be in fellowship with another believer who doesn't agree with my politics. In fact, I can't even conceive that such a person might exist. Someone who loves Jesus and doesn't agree with all of my political preferences. What, you know, by what authority do you tell me that I have to be generous? It's my money. It's no one else's business but my own. How much money I make, how much money I give. No one's allowed to speak to those things except to, to me. By what authority do you tell me that I need to be bold and share the gospel with my non-Christian neighbor? It's weird. It's awkward. I don't want to do it. I'd rather just be comfortable. Let the, it's not my job. It's not my, not my problem. You have no authority here, right? So we can, we can adopt this same posture of these religious leaders, whether we realize it or not. This idea that says, I'm fine with Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. Check the box, right? I just, right up until when his commands ask something of me that I don't want to do. And when that happens, I'm going to question him. I'm going to question his authority. I'm going to assert my own authority over him. It's all too familiar. Tell us by what authority you do these things and who gave you this authority. And Jesus does not dignify their question with an answer. He could answer it. He knows the answer. It's not, like, it's not, a, hard, it's not a hard question for him. right? Uh, the authority that I have to do these things is because I am God. I created the world. I created you. I own you. You answer to me. I'm above you in every sense of the word. It's my authority. It's God's authority. It's not a hard question to answer, but Jesus just doesn't dignify it because he knows that they're not asking with sincerity. So I'll answer your question if you answer me one on my own. Tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? It seems kind of random, right? Seems like Jesus just kind of arbitrarily, you know. Mentions some guy that's not necessarily germane to the to the uh, conversation at hand, but it is right uh, because because John the Baptist, like Jesus, was not a part of the the guild right the religious aristocracy. He wasn't he wasn't formally trained. He wasn't in the in crowd of religious teachers and so so if the if these religious teachers are calling Jesus' ministry into question, then they are uh, also by logical inference calling John the Baptist's ministry into question. Right? John John the Baptist was publicly supportive of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This guy is higher than me. This guy is above me. My ministry exists to point to him, to make much of him. He doesn't exist to, to point to me, to draw attention to me. Rather, I exist to draw attention to him. That's why later... As John the Baptist's ministry is declining and Jesus is, is, is on an uh, ascendancy, he says, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. Right. So if you're, if you're acknowledging the legitimacy of John's ministry, then you are, by extension, acknowledging the legitimacy of Jesus' ministry. Because John is publicly supportive of Jesus. There's a lot at stake here. There's a lot, like the answer, this isn't an arbitrary random question. This is a loaded question. A lot's at stake. The the religious leaders know that a lot's at stake and that's why they kind of time out. Like take a 20, like let's come over, let's huddle up, let's get our answer, let's get our story straight. Let's kind of figure it out. If we say from heaven... He'll say, why do you not believe him? But if we say, for man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. We've got two options here, right? Uh, On the one hand, we can affirm John's ministry. We're Team John. We're pro-John. He was great. We like the things that he said. But remember, these guys are lawyers, judges. I've seen seen my share of episodes of uh, Law & Order. And there's like one of the rules, one of the main rules for a lawyer is you never ask a question in the courtroom that you don't know the answer to. If you're cross-examining a witness, you don't want to ask him a question that you don't know the answer to because that might throw your case away that you don't want it to go. Or in this case, maybe never say anything without thinking through the implications of what you're about to say and thinking through how the other person might respond to it or use it as as evidence in their line of reasoning their argumentation right never never say anything that you're not sure how it might come back to, to bite you so you say man if we say that we are supportive of John's ministry then Jesus is going to say all right well Let's let's run that to its logical conclusion. If you're supportive of John's ministry, then you should be supportive of me because John was supportive of me. If you're so skeptical of me and questioning my credentials, how could you do that if you are a fan of John, who was a fan of me? And they're like we're. That that gets us. That's that we're that's backtracking. If we say John's ministry is from heaven, we're going backwards. Our goal is to say Jesus' ministry is illegitimate. It is not real. His authority does not come from God. It does not come from heaven. If we say John's ministry came from heaven, we are undercutting our own built like our own argument, our own position. We can't say that. So what's our other option? If we say from man, everyone will stone us to death. Because they're convinced that John was a prophet. That's not a good option either. Right? We could say, John, we, I mean, this would be an easy thing to say. John the Baptist's ministry was not from heaven, it was from man. It's gonna, it's gonna have the, uh, the, you know, it's gonna have the uh, advantage of undercutting and subverting Jesus' ministry, which is what we wanna do. Plus, John was weird. He's a weird guy. So it's not a tough sell to say that his his ministry is not from heaven. It was not from God. It was from it was from inside of himself. He's a he's crazy. His hair's all messed up. He wears weird clothes. He eats weird food. He hangs out. He's a homeless person. He's a weird he's a weird guy. And so we could very easily say, you know, John the Baptist was like a, a. you know, a mentally ill homeless person that you might see on the subway in a big city. He's kind of crazy. And so nothing that he said really is binding or, or you know, necessarily relevant for us because he's crazy. Everything that he said came from within his own self and not from God. They could say that. But they know that if they do, Jesus might, or someone that's there, might uh, start grandstanding. Right? Like, What? Can, like, did everyone hear what the what these guys just they just said that they don't think John the Baptist was a prophet? They just said that they don't think that his ministry was legitimate. They think John was crazy. They think he was a false teacher. And then, and of course, everyone loves John the Baptist, right? Everyone thought that he was this awesome, powerful, albeit a little weird, right? A little bit. Maybe I won't do. Maybe I'll not do everything that he does. I'll sleep in a bed. I'll eat food, you know, instead of bugs. He's kind of a weirdo, but he's a good preacher and I like listening to him and he's powerful and he kind of, you know, so everyone loved John the Baptist, thought he was this charismatic teacher and the religious leaders know that they can't be seen saying that, that, uh, that John the Baptist was a false teacher. They know that they'll lose the support of the masses that they might even be killed. So, so a lot is riding on this answer. Whatever we say about this question here, we're either going to undercut our argument to say that Jesus needs to leave and leave us alone and let us do our own thing, or we're going to undercut all of the approval and support and affirmation that we have from the masses. We're really in a pickle here. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. All right, let's just... Let's just hedge our bets, let's punt, trust our defense, right? Because we don't have a winning, we don't have a a winning answer here. Which is, this is out of character, right? This is out of character for these religious leaders because they're the people who always have all the answers. Their whole job is... You know, their whole job is basically, you could just summarize their whole job as never say I don't know. Just don't ever say you don't know. You always know everything. Other people are ignorant. They're stupid. They need you to tell them. There's no question that anyone could ever answer, who could ever ask you that you haven't already thought of, deliberated on, meditated on, argued with other people about, and you know the answer. You never say I don't know. But here they have to say I don't know because they've essentially become they've they've come face to face. Jesus has held up a mirror right in front of their face and just and kind of given them just a full, you know, a full on view of themselves and their hypocrisy and their their arrogance and frankly the reality that they're not all that concerned with truth at all. I mean the reality is that they know they know their answer to this question, right? Is, is the baptism from John from heaven or from man? They know, they know what they want the answer to be, right? They know that their, their answer, like they, they want the answer to be no. Like we, we, you know, that would be what we want it to be. That would be what we hope is the case. Because then we don't have to listen to him and we don't have to listen to you. They also know probably what they suspect that the real answer might be. Because because John the Baptist taught and spoke with power from the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught and spoke with power from the Holy Spirit. So they, they probably have a haunting suspicion that the answer really is from heaven. But either way, regardless of what we think the answer might be, if we're being honest, or regardless of what we know that we want the answer to be, we can't go on the record with either of them because, uh, because it's too risky. And there's, there's sinful heart postures lurking on either side that, that are associated with either answer that they are not uh, willing not willing to, not willing to, to publicly kind of go on the record. We can't say that John's ministry is from heaven. John's baptism is from heaven because of our pride. If we affirm John, if we acknowledge John, we'll be inadvertently affirming and acknowledging Jesus. If we affirm and acknowledge Jesus, we'll be affirming what he says and does. We'll be affirming things like when he came yesterday into the temple and threw all of our tables over, we'll be saying basically that he was right. We would be acknowledging that Jesus has the authority to speak into our lives, to tell us to do things we don't want to do. We'd be conceding the high ground, acknowledging that he's above us. He has authority over us. We are obligated to listen to him and to submit to him and to do what he says. And that is something that our pride can not allow. We can't let this uneducated, stupid carpenter from some rural hick town come into our city and tell us what to do. We can't say that he's right, we can't say that he has authority, we can't give him any leverage, we can't imply that we are in any way obligated to listen to him or to obey him. We have to be on top, we have to be in control, we have to have all the power. We are the ones who dictate terms, no one dictates them to us. We're smart, we're strong, we're impressive, we're on top of the food chain. They cannot say that the baptism of John was from heaven because of their pride and their arrogance and their self-exaltation. Which would be contrasted with Jesus. His attitude, his spirit, his heart posture. Jesus who... Though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But instead, he, he made himself nothing. He was rich, but he became poor. He took on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and was obedient all the way to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the most humble person who has ever lived. And he's talking with these religious leaders who are overcome with pride. And self-ism. And that's instructive for us. Right? We face similar choices of whether we're going to be proud or humble. Probably on most days. Right? Someone sins against us. We can forgive them. We can reconcile with them. Right? We can allow for the relationship to be restored. Even if they don't want to have anything to do with us, we can still resolve in our hearts not to be angry, not to be bitter, not to hold a grudge. It's the way of humility. Or we can be like the religious leaders. right? Hold grudges against people because doing so puts us in a position of power over them. When we sin against someone else, right? That's that's what happens when someone sins against us. When we sin against someone else, the way of humility, the way of Christ is to repent and to confess our sin to them, to ask them for their forgiveness. Or we can be proud like the religious leaders, pretend like it never happened. Let bygones be bygones. It's just water under the bridge. Let's Let's not dig up ancient history, right? Probably best if we just leave that in the past and never speak of it again. That's the the way of pride. That's the way of religious leaders. Opportunities to take credit, hog the spotlight, make sure that everyone sees us and makes much of us. Or opportunities to deflect attention and praise to other people and to God even at our own expense. Pride versus humility. We can't say John's baptism was from heaven because our pride will not allow it but we also can't say that john's baptism was from man people will stone us to death they're convinced that john was a prophet so we can't say that it's from heaven because of our pride but we also can't say that john's baptism was from man because of our fear Fear of other people, fear of rejection, fear of losing their approval, fear of losing their uh, admiration and their respect, fear of what will happen if I don't go along with them and meet their expectations no matter what they are. This paralyzing fear deep in my soul that says... Everything that I am, all of my self-worth is wrapped up in what other people think of me. I have to have their respect. I have to have their approval. I have to have their admiration. I cannot abide letting them think I'm stupid or I was wrong or I'm less of a man or a woman than I, than I am. We're paralyzed. Paralyzed. we are at the mercy of what other people think of us what the culture thinks of us we're beholden to their every whim terrified of the of the prospect of being rejected or despised or ignored The religious leaders are too prideful to admit that John, and by extension Jesus, might have any authority over them at all, but they're too fearful to go against the crowd, right? Everyone loves Jesus. Everyone's hanging on Jesus' every word. Everyone loved John before they loved Jesus, right? Everyone follows John and Jesus around, waiting with bated breath to see what miracles they're going to perform. Their lives are changed by their teaching. They repent of their sin. They trust in Jesus. They trust in the mercy of God. They go out and they live this new life, this this compelling life, where they invite their friends to come and know Jesus with them and walk with Jesus with them. And, And following the ministry of Jesus, following him in discipleship is this infectious thing. It's got momentum. More and more people are coming to Jesus. Their lives are being changed. Problem is, all of our power comes from the approval from these very same people. We need them to like us. We need them to respect us. If they don't think highly of us, then we will lose everything, and we can't possibly do anything that would cause them to stop supporting us, right? We know, we can't have them pull their funding. We can't have them pull their their support. It's like it's like a you know a politician who gets elected to go to Washington represent our interests. In Congress or the Senate, whatever it is, presented with a very clear choice, right? Vote on this. There's, a, there's something that's morally right uh, but but might not be popular. There's something that might be popular but it is morally wrong. And so, you know, do you, do you cast your vote for that which is morally right even though you might not get reelected? Or do you cave and betray your morals, fail to stand up for what you uh, believe is right, but knowing that if you do, you'll still have the support of your base? You'll get re-elected, you'll have a nice, long, comfortable career, in a nice, you know, cushy office with plenty of money coming in. Do you stand up for what's right, even if it's not popular? Or do you cave to fear, conform to the desires and expectations of the people around you whose approval that you need and desperately crave? The religious, the religious leaders can't say that John's ministry came from man because they're terrified of losing the approval of other people. Which is just as relevant for us today, right? If the, if the, pride, if the pride aspect of the first part of the question is relevant for us, then so is the fear aspect of the second part of the question, Right? With a group of people, they're engaging in gossip, slander, talking about someone behind their back, sharing embarrassing secrets, speaking harshly against them. Do you stand there, remain silent, let it happen? Do you join in? God forbid these same people think less of you, or they talk about you behind your back at a later date, so maybe I'll just uh, conform this one time. That's, That's fear of man. That's the spirit of these religious leaders. You know, racist humor, right? Celebrating sexual escapades, speaking derogatorily about, you know, women or whatever, right? do, Do you remain silent? Do you pretend like you didn't hear it? Do you laugh along with them? This is just, you know, guys being guys. That's the fear of man. That's the spirit of the religious leaders. Maybe you know someone who's not a believer. You have an opportunity to share Christ with them. You have an opportunity to show hospitality to them. Maybe they're hurting. Maybe they're suffering. Maybe they need someone to care for them and to extend a hand of of Christian fellowship to them so that they might know Jesus. You're reluctant. What will they think of me? Will they think I'm weird? Will they think I'm trying to sell them something? Will they... Will they think I'm trying to recruit them into some sort of cult? Will they put me on some government watch list? Maybe I better not. Maybe I better not tell this person who needs to hear about Christ. Maybe I better not tell them about Christ because I'm afraid of what they'll think of me. I'm afraid that I won't have their approval. That's the spirit of these religious leaders. That's fear of man. Pride says... I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to acknowledge anything that might possibly cause me to lose leverage or power or control. I'm my own man. No one tells me what to do. I do whatever I want, when I want. I don't have to ask anyone. I don't have to consult anyone. I don't have to answer to anyone. And fear says I desperately need everyone to like me. I need them to approve of me. I can't let them think less of me than I think they should. I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll say whatever I have to say to get their approval, to get their admiration, and to get their affirmation. Even if it means compromising my integrity, or doing, or saying something that's immoral. Even if it means disobeying God. It's a small price to pay for having people like me. That's the spirit of these religious leaders. And if we're not careful, that's that's a spirit that we can embody as well. spirit of pride and a spirit of fear. And Jesus says, Well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He kind of he reaffirms, or he kind of says, "You know, I didn't dignify your initial question with an answer, and I'm still not going to dignify it with an answer. You have shown yourself to be unworthy of hearing an answer to that question. You've shown yourself to be incapable of knowing how to take the answer to that question and actually, you know, your question was... Uh, By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? And you just showed that you do not have the knowledge of discerning what real authority is, where it comes from, who has it, and who does not. You've shown yourself that you're a slave to fear. You've shown yourself that you're a a slave to pride. You've shown that you love yourselves more than God and that you love the approval of others more than you love the approval from God. And so you don't deserve in answer to the question you 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 are not ready or able to he, you know if i if i called up bill belichick and was like hey let's let's spend an afternoon together talking football strategy and he's like all right well what you know sure like are you are you a professional football player are you like a coach like wh- you know what level or like how how far have you kind of Risen in, in the, the world of football, I'm like I don't know I'm no, nowhere. I've never seen a game. I've never played the sport. I know very little about it. Then he would probably say, "Well, I don't think we should like. Not a lot of good's going to come from talking with me about cover two defenses and you know passing route integrity because you don't even know, you know what you don't know what the game of football is or how it's played at a basic level. You've shown yourself to be incapable of handling." the information that you're asking for, so we're not going to waste your time and mine. Jesus says, you've shown yourself to be incapable of handling the information you're asking for, so I'm not going to dignify your insincere question with a response. Because again, Jesus could have said, I'll tell you right now where my authority comes from. It comes from God, because I am God. God. But he knows that their question. He knows that they have impure motives. He knows that they don't really want to hear his answer. They're just trying to trap him, and they're trying to impress everyone around them. So your question is not deserving of an answer. I'm not going to dignify it with an answer. Instead, religious leaders, here's the here's the reality. Right? If you if you want to trust me, then just trust me. If you want to follow me follow me. If you want to obey me, then obey me. But it's got to be on my terms. You can't say I'm fine with Jesus right up until the moment where he disrupts my life, right up until the moment where he makes demands on me that I am not comfortable with, right up until the moment where he does something that does not sit well with my sensibilities. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. No matter what He says, no matter where He calls you. He's the King. He demands your allegiance. There's no room for pride or thinking more highly of yourself than you think of God. There's no room for fear or caring more about the approval of other people than you care about the approval of God. If you want to follow Jesus, then you have to follow Him in costly discipleship wherever He calls you. With trust and obedience in humility and and boldness and faithfulness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess that we are all too often like these religious leaders. We're enthusiastic about following you right up until the moment where something is demanded of us, where it becomes costly. And then we often operate out of pride, seeking to consolidate our power and control, not wanting to humble ourselves before you or others. Or We operate out of fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of losing the approval of others that we crave so much. And we pray, Lord, that you would save us from these sins. We pray that you would help us to trust in your death and your resurrection so that we can be reconciled to you and saved from your judgment. Lord, help us to follow you even when it's costly with humility and with boldness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.